Hey everybody, uh, this is a podcast that, 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 talk, that talks about the uh, re- still recent Groundhog's Day marathon we did, because there was some interest in kind of having like a recap aftermath, and we wanted, there was also interest in the community to getting someone from the National Alliance in Homelessness on to talk about their programs and how the money that we raised for uh, charity uh, is going to be used, and I guess we should start at the beginning, because uh, there's a lot of people I'm sure that's going to be hearing this, you know, since we did this kind of on our off season when probably visits and people are paying attention or is at an all time low. Uh, a lot just the just the core nucleus of the Ball Blue family is involved and probably actively knew about it. Uh, so let's talk about. For a long time, we've wanted to do some kind of 24 hour marathon stunt. And it's gone through several iterations. Like, you know, I, I, at one point, I know we talked about doing some sort of video game and trying to get, like, a Guinness record. And But then <laughs> I don't know when it started becoming about Groundhog's Day on Groundhog's Day. Yeah, uh, but it, it's tough to pinpoint. That, that I mean, that there, I don't know what it is. Like, this, this is more of a you thing, but, like, you really like things like that. Like... Like like watching okay. Groundhog's Day on Groundhog's Day. I like the absurdity of something so just over the top. Yeah, like can I? I mean, I don't know if this will still happen. And and cut this if you don't want it to get on the internet. But for a long time, you planned completely unironically uh, a a John Van Dam ham slam <laughs> film festival. Chocolate, yeah. Where it was the gonna, Van Dam ham slam. The Van Dam ham slam, where you were going to you were going to rent like Memorial Park in Indianapolis. Uh-huh. Get I've a looked bunch, into it. Yeah, get a bunch of barbecue joints to come out to like have <laughs> have pork. Try to get the man himself to MC the event and just uh-huh. do an f- outdoor film festival celebrating his the life and times of John Van Dam. Right. Like you like shit like that. You like 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 you are essentially exhibit that like yo dog. I heard you like Groundhog's Day. <laughs> so how about you watch Groundhog's Day on Groundhog's Day? Yeah. Yo. Know, uh, and we and we and we live watched the actual Groundhog's Day uh, celebrations at Gobbler's Knob uh-huh. during this thing. So, so we had this idea that like we wanted to do it, and like we actually meant to do it last year, and we forgot. Like like I remember the third like when <laughs> when we came into the office and it was Groundhog's Day, we're like, fuck, weren't we supposed to? But we get so wrapped up in the first of the year doing the business baldies. planning, the baldies, year, yeah. and doing all this stuff that like. So this year we. And this is this is it's so fucking bald move because, you know, uh, Breaking Bad wasn't our first podcast because that was our most passionate thing. Like we had tried like to get a Mad Men podcast, we tried to get a Walking Dead podcast. It just so happens when everything lined up, we had our shit together. It was the fourth season of Breaking Bad, and there you go. Mm-hmm. So like this, just t- 2018 was the year that everything lined up. We remembered it, and we only remembered like a week or two before. Uh, so we decided to do it, and then it's like, well, if we're going to do it, maybe we should try to do something with it. Like, we should yeah. try, you know, like, if we're going to be doing this much effort, um, we should either monetize it or, better yet, make an excuse to raise money for charity. And then what charity do we support? Because, mm-hmm. like, what is a quintessentially bald move charity? It's, you know, uh, you could probably come up with a lot of different things, but, like, there is, mm-hmm. like, you know, what is the kind of thing? Like, there's not a charity for out-of-work actors and uh, writers and things like that. You know, like, that that would be something that everybody can get um, on board with. Uh-huh. And we came up with this homeless 
idea because there was this like central plot of Bill Murray trying to help this this old homeless guy out who eventually he sees it as a Sisyphean task and like the ball just rolls down the hill and he has to make peace with it. And simultaneously, like since I've moved into Cincinnati, like I there's like homeless people in like in my neighborhood that mm-hmm. I have kind of like gotten to know on a first name basis and I've done a lot of research about like how how do you how's the best way to help people who are experiencing the, the, the homelessness and if you assuming you can't live uh ten thousand years and a thousand right, lifetimes right and then also and like i think become the, a doctor the movie the the the, the one of the points the movie makes is like you can't you know yeah. you can't volunteer for a soup kitchen for a day and solve you can't like write a check for 50 dollars to a food bank and solve it because and it's a it's a it's like it's not just a one day's focus worth of worth worth issue and it's not even just a one person's focus right? right no matter how many days no matter how many tries he had and how many days he got that one person couldn't do it alone right so i started iterating like you know what can we do can we raise money for like a food bank in cincinnati well well i mean number one i don't know if that fits the theme of the movie and my personal views on how you effectively attack the problem and also you know i'm sure people would have given to like a local organization but you know bald move has got people from around the world and we got a 24-hour marathon a great chance to interact with people from all over the world maybe this should be something that's at least a national reach so I started researching and going on to like charitywatch.com. Uh, I don't know. There's a bunch of different sites that like index charities based on how efficiently they use their money. Like what percentage of each dollar goes to the thing that they say they're trying to do, how much the, the executives get paid. And this National Alliance in Homelessness always was at the top of the several different sites lists. And I remembered them being cited in a John Oliver piece about homelessness uh, about two years ago. Hmm. So I looked at their literature. I saw like they're, you know, they, they, they are less involved. I mean, they're involved in a lo- local level, but their primary focus is to gather empirical data and then use that to form policies to that. They can work at the, that the federal state and, and, and local level to, to actually solve homelessness like they think that like the homeless problem is is something that can be solved it's not something that we have to just be like oh well it's something we have to put up with um so that was the charity and uh then it's like well how do we raise this money and that led to a whole bunch of boring stuff about how to hook shit up to twitch and we weren't twitch partners and how to do donation (laughs) stuff and we were just kind of solving this but like literally on the last day I was setting up the the bar that was going to track, and I'm I remember having a conversation like, what should I set this goal to be? Because I did at the time I thought that if like I set it like something I thought we could hit like three thousand, and then like what happens if like eight o'clock on that Friday night we hit three thousand? Do people does like you know do 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 we then raise the gold something else? Like that's always kind of silly. So I'm like, well, you know what? I'll set it to ten grand. Just explain that like I don't think I can reset this, and I want to set it something absurdly high so I don't have to worry about all that. Right. And twenty four hours later, we raised ten thousand uh-huh. dollars. Uh This podcast is largely going to be about that experience. Um, I talked a lot. What were you thinking? Like, like, there's a lot of common questions about how we prepared physically for it, how we prepared mentally. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I want to just, like, from your perspective, how did you approach this and what what was it like? So I know this, this is something that I've had in the back of my mind for a very long time as a 24-hour Groundhog Day marathon. Uh, it seems, like you said, my brand of absurdity. Right. Uh, where 
you're experiencing day over and over again. Wouldn't it be funny if in a day you experience this movie over and over again? Which itself is very cyclical. Like, yeah, the, I forget. Wasn't it like I think someone said that that the that 37 times the events of Groundhog's Day loop within the movie Groundhog's Day. <laughs> right. So it's just microcosm and the macrocosm. It's all yeah. it's all very strange. And I, I love that about it. And so it wasn't much of a stretch to say, hey, let's do this as a bald move thing. Um, especially like when you mentioned, hey, it should be on Groundhog's Day. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, and, and I know that I have done like 24-hour marathons of stuff in past. It's n- it's not a problem. And it's usually not movies, though. It's usually like something more interactive, like a mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was a little bit worried going into it that maybe I wouldn't be able to stay awake the whole time because I wouldn't be stimulated enough by this movie that I had seen at that point 11 times in a row. And we've seen this movie a lot, period. Right, it's I've like, already we, seen we it lo- like 11 we, to 20 times. We legitimately love this movie. Yeah, it's one of my favorites of all time. Uh, uh-huh. Certainly one of my favorite Bill Murray movies. Right. Um, so yeah, I was a little worried going into it. Maybe I will not be stimulated enough to stay awake. Mm-hmm. But... I was like super blown away once we got into it by the amount of participation from our community. Mm-hmm. Um, both, as you said, the donation just blasting that goal and and shocking us in that way, but also just like the level of participation throughout the evening. We had several people who were in the chat with us for 24 hours. Right. Like there were some people who stayed with us the entire time. And every time we'd say. Yeah, the one that I, I, the sh- uh, Shum. Right. Every uh, time we'd say like, hey, uh, I wonder if Shum is still awake. He'd pipe in. Yep. Still here, guys. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was after his his work shift. It's like it, I was just blown away by the amount of community support in, in all ways possible. Right. Um, and. It was also right from the jump. Like, we had, like, almost 100 people watching it as we began. I think the low point was in the 40s or 50s, and we had... Overnight, yeah. Like, we were in... You know, like, uh, that doesn't sound very impressive, but, like, during the Friday night primetime... Like, we were outperforming Penny Arcade's live D&D session (laughs) on Twitch. Right. Watching this... uh, Watching watching this uh, uh, Groundhog's Day thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Yeah, to to me, because I had done a couple, like, I had decided that, like, you know, I don't have much trouble staying up. Um, it's not that hard for me. So what mm-hmm. I did is I didn't really uh, change my sleep schedule much. I just said, okay, <laughs> the night of, I'm going to go home. I'm going to take some melatonin, which is um, a, a, a natural kind of sleep uh, yeah. chemical that makes you s- s- drowsy. I'm going to try to take a four- or five-hour nap. And I'm going to come in. And the other thing that's like two weeks leading up to the marathon, I went off caffeine. Mm. So that like uh, if I needed to, I could turn to that stimulation. And honestly, I brought like a case of Red Bulls, like four Red Bulls and like a 24-pack of Coke. I think I drank one Red Bull and maybe four or five Cokes throughout the, the day. Yeah. And uh, I I didn't really feel – the only time I felt defeated was around 5 o'clock in the morning – I think there must be some automated process that, like, Cincinnati Bell does in their fiber things. Mm, Our network yeah. went to shit. And we were, like, every five to ten minutes, our Twitch connection, like, locked up, and we had to reset our computer. And we were, like, really bummed out because, like, there's no way we can do this for 18 more hours. No, there was a moment where we said, look, if this doesn't clear up in, like, 30 minutes, we're going to call it off. Yeah. And, like, it lasted for, like, you'll see, like, if you watch the archives, there is a period right around between, like, 4.30 and 5.30 where there's, like, suddenly, instead of being, 
long like because we we did it in like four hour segments because we also found one of our cameras would kind of lock, lock up in that and so the microphones would the go microphones weird did and, yeah. some weird noises so we decided that like every four hours we'd reboot our system and then that also broke up the twitch stream in the nice four hour digestible chunks yeah but yeah the only time i really felt bummed out and down was when we had those fucking network problems in the dead of night but yeah. once they cleared yeah. up it was like there was always something going on that's true um like I, what I, a, I did a little more prep than that okay um i i tried to roll back my sleep schedule like a couple hours each night in the like four or so nights leading up to it yeah which i think ended up doing me more harm than good because <laughs> i up until like tuesday I, so we did this on a friday and up until tuesday i was getting enough sleep at night and then like wednesday night i ended up getting like three hours of sleep for yeah. some reason like i just couldn't go to sleep or i i couldn't stay asleep yeah uh, and so I was like, okay, well, that'll be good because then Thursday I can really just, uh, I can sleep forever. Like I'll mm-hmm. sleep for eight hours and then I'll come in here at midnight and be ready to go for 24. Turns out that I could only get four hours of sleep that day. Mm-hmm. So in the last like three days leading up to this, I had maybe seven hours of sleep mm-hmm. going into it. And so I was like really worried that. I wouldn't be able to make it through. But, yeah, like you said, everything, something was going on at all times. The funny thing is, is as soon as we started a marathon, it quickly, because we started at midnight. Yeah. Like 12.01. Mistake. Of, of right. on February 2nd, Groundhog's Day. It's, it seems to me that the ideal start would have been 6 a.m. because that's yeah. when the Bill Murray, we made the Andy McDowell mistake of assuming that the time loop would start at <laughs> at midnight. We did. And there's also, so I feel like it would have been easier if we had gone, like, you know, it would have been way easier because I could have taken melatonin at 10 o'clock and gotten a full eight hours. And then staying up with that background yeah. would have been no problem. I've, and, and, like, if that that's that's the, our first kind of, like, major screw up that, like, we if we had thought about it a little bit more, we probably would have. I'm actually surprised no one on the threads where we were announcing it was like, well, the, the time loop starts <laughs> at 6 a.m. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, but But we didn't. And it mostly worked out. So mm-hmm. what the fuck? Uh, lots of cool things happened. Um, <laughs> I will say that one of the more bizarre things was the onslaught of food. Yeah, we got. Uh, and I don't. I know some people's names. I don't want to like shout out some of the people by name and then forget. Like you know, like piss people off by for forgetting who. But like we, it started. We got two pizzas. Mm-hmm. One was an all pineapple pizza. Well, that's how it started. Yeah, somebody. So someone sent us a pizza last year when we did some crazy yeah, thing like this. Yeah, we were like doing this. our signing the Christmas cards kind of thing. Right, and and they sent us a pizza. I, I know her name. I'm not going to shout it out because, yeah. like you said, I'll forget somebody's name. Right. Um, it's Michelle from Cal. And, and, right, and she, <laughs> she was saying, I'm going to send you guys another pizza. And then someone else decided, you know what, I'm going to beat her to it. And it was I'm, a troll pizza. It, and it turned out to be a troll pizza, right? They sent us just pineapple. No which, pepperoni, which no ham, no pie, Which I was all about. Like, I, I hate pineapple pizza. I fucking love pineapple pizza. It's savory, it's sweet, what's there not to love? Everything. I hate it. There you go. Uh, so they, they trolled us with that, and Michelle was like, okay, uh, well, I'm going to send you a pizza that you can at least eat, Jim. Yeah. So... She sent that over, and then I guess people got it in their heads that this but was this a funny thing. thing because we were like, "Oh my god, two pizzas! How are we going to eat that?" And it was a succession of bewildered Grubhub employees <laughs> going down and like seeing two men in these recliners, wa- like with cameras rigged up everywhere, uh-huh. watching this movie, and like, I'm supposed to tell you, Valor Morgulis? Like, uh-huh. like you had no idea. They're, they, 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 like, uh, I, I'll, I'll try to list everything. We had an entire crave crate. 
Crave Case, yeah. Crave Case from... 30 White Castles. From White Castles. 30 White Castles. Some of those White Castle cheeseburgers were jalapeno, uh-huh. which had some heat to them. Plus a big bag of onion chips, plus a big bag of like french fries, plus a big bag of onion rings. We had a whole suite of food from BW3s, like four mm-hmm. different... Uh, a uh, yeah, dozen wings of various flavors and configurations. We Some had two pickles, slices of cheesecake pickles. from the Cheesecake Factory. Yeah, uh, We had someone called up Mazuntas, which is like the best little local taco stand. It's like literally across the street from us and ordered uh, 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 quesadillas and tacos and their chips and all that kind of stuff. What am I forgetting? I know I'm forgetting other food. Um... But like it's that just like every it. every half hour to forty five minutes from approximately noon until six o'clock we had just like mat oh someone sent us a care package of a bunch of junk food like everything yeah. that Frito Lay's the company makes essentially Slim Jims mm-hmm. and stuff and cases of Red Bull we ended up having like sixteen Red Bulls um, uh, and then also like that also same package came with um, uh, pea cans. Like, they're oh, designed to be right, used yeah. for, like, I guess, a long-distance driver or bedridden individuals. And mm-hmm. hilariously, the rims of them glow in the dark. So, like, <laughs> if you're camp- like if you're camping at night and you don't want to get out of your tent and you can you can just got this glowing ring you got to piss into. Um, and that was, like, I mean, it was absurd uh, because we're ostensibly raising money for the homeless and we're getting all this food that we can't possibly eat. Yeah. Um, but it was nice and it was something that kind of kept things moving and also like you know being able to eat every couple hours keeps the energy levels up so that was kind of cool mm-hmm. um what are some other like i don't want to get to like the the, the grand finale because if i if i was going to tell people to listen to any segment i would recommend the last four hour stretch because it probably had you know the highest concentrations of dopiness and big moments and it's also has the big finish which we'll talk about in a minute but what were yeah. some of the other like i wrote down at, at 6 45 a.m is when the groundhog first popped up oh yeah no i really like doing the live watch of the, the groundhog day ceremony yeah you were at every, every in between viewings because like so what, what we did is every two hours we started a new a new oh, film that groundhog yeah right. <laughs> and Phil. and like there was like a 15 minute gap in between showings where yeah. we would get up and like we would you know go stretch bathroom, and go to the bathroom yeah. or you know just just joke with people on camera and Jim would like frequently retire to his workstation that's in the same room as our viewing station and he was doing something I don't know what but like at one point like when the when the groundhog appeared like this massive groundhog pop up <laughs> came up yeah that's what I was doing I was I was putting together graphics for the a uh, graphics package and then and then people were asking you cuz like this particular groundhog just had disgusting teeth right and like, really gross yellow uh curled teeth apparently groundhogs and beavers uh try to, to get a lot of iron in their diet because that actually strengthens their teeth and their teeth are effectively rusty but it's, it's pretty okay. gross looking. Looks like yeah. a, uh, he's got a twelve pack a day habit. And never brushes his teeth. People ask you to whiten his teeth. Yeah, they said he'd look cute if it wasn't for those nasty yellow teeth. So this asshole <laughs> goes and photoshops <laughs> a pair of human teeth, and then also uses the arc of its human teeth as its eyebrows or some shit. Like uh-huh. so now you get some Cronenberg <laughs> shit happening and every I, time. And I had a, an animated graphic that would wiggle the eyebrows. Yeah. when it popped up. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a pretty that was a pretty good moment. That's horrifying. Yeah, but a lot of fun. Um, I'm trying to think. 
th- there was a lot of ongoing talk about my socks. Yeah, people which I found hilarious in disbelief of Jim's white socks. Yeah, um, apparently white socks are not a thing that anybody who listens to Bald Move appreciates anymore. Uh, and I, I don't know. I I wear socks for the utility. Thank God them. I wore my merino wool socks because I because it's like. <laughs> It's it's a thirty it's a thirty three point three percent chance where I'm going to show up in black socks, white socks, or my merino wool, depending yeah. on season. Thank God I wore my merinos because I avoided all of the white sock supremacy that Jim was was uh, uh, was espousing that day. Yeah, I found and all it the hilarious. abuse you were taking for it. Uh, yeah, what a, so? What are some of the other kind of like big things that happened? Uh, I'm. We did a duet of Sunny and Shares. I got you, babe. Right, right. That that's in that four hour, like eight eight p.m. to midnight slot in the last four hours. Mm-hmm. Um, there was. I mean, how many times did you actually watch Groundhog Day? Do you think? Like, paid attention to the plot? Yeah. Uh, two. Like, like, as I was thinking, like maybe three. I got three complete watches of Groundhog's Day because the majority yeah. of it was like interacting with chat and just making right. jokes and meta jokes about the movie and it's kind of like turned into an extended lunch with Jim and Aaron. Yeah. Um, and so I guess the, the last four hours, um, we were going in and, uh, like our buddy Eric from Seattle was like really boosting people. And cause I was like, when we, it was clear that we were going to make over $5,000. I was already like, fuck. I mean, gun to your head at 1159 PM, the night of, how much money did you think we were going to raise? I was thinking like two grand. I was. Th- I'm a little bit more optimistic. I was thinking like three thousand, thirty five hundred. When we were going to crest over five thousand, mm-hmm. and it became clear that we were going to like, I was already kind of satisfied. And, uh, and then when we got over seven thousand, I'm like, well, that's that's going to be it. And, then, <laughs> and there was a big push to get to eight. The big push to get to eight, and then that and push. You and led... I ended up donating like a hundred each. Yeah, and, then... and that, that led to getting to eighty five, and then it's like, okay, well, that's. That's such a huge number. There's yeah. no, and then this is all kind of happening in the last hour or half hour. It was right. it was getting very close to the final viewing, right? Um, to, to to the end of the final viewing when we were hitting like eight thousand eighty five hundred, right? And um, I just like 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 at the last like because we were I can't remember where we were at. Was it like before the final movie? Was it before? Because after the last showing, we realized we had like 15 minutes to kill. So we threw on Anime Noguchi, which, if mm-hmm. you don't know, was the, the all, their Helix Nebula. What was that? Yeah, it was after the, the 12th showing, right? It was after the 12th showing. So we're in celebration mode, and we yeah. put on Helix Nebula, which is the Anime Noguchi classic that <laughs> uh, used to be their theme music for our very first podcast, Blue Yonder, yeah. before we started television and movie podcasting as kind of a nostalgic. And plus, I just genuinely like that music. Mm-hmm. And. I think I, my memory is during that time when we were kind of like, kind of like, you know, just recapping things. Uh, Freddie C, who had been had already donated quite a bit of money at that point, came in and had donated an additional fifteen hundred dollars to put us to ten thousand with the because mm-hmm. like you also you know you had a dedication um, and the the dedication was fuck it. <laughs> and what was super funny is we were doing something else. We were talking about I don't know what, but we had taken our eyes off to chat. Mm-hmm. And, like, chat was going ballistic, and it became a joke. It was, like, several minutes be- between us, like, like F- Freddie dropping this on and us becoming aware of it. And then it's, like, just fucking pandemonium. Like, you know, we just raised, we just smashed this bullshit <laughs> goal that we invented, like, yeah. 
hours before we actually went live with this stupid thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was super happy. And you said, I think one of the most profound things that came out was what you said the next day, or maybe it was a day or two, because, you know, most of Saturday I was just recovering. Yeah, so I, I went home and slept for like 10 hours. But you can't. You, you said something in the, the official thread that I thought was pretty profound. Do you remember? Do you have the gist of it? I mean, the basic sentiment is... I, I go on Twitch from time to time, and I see the communities there, and I see how vulgar and disgusting and disrespectful they are. And not once during our entire 24-hour stream did I see that from our community. No. And it was just incredible. Didn't moderate a single person. It was no. nothing but positivity and support and good humor and uh, positive words of encouragement and people being funny. And we had, like, you know, people from all different cu- countries. I mean, people and taking the piss and... on, on socks and stuff, but that's all right. good fun, right? Right. Like, like you, go in, you go in an average Twitch channel and, like, oh. identify as a woman. Yeah. And we've got, like, you know, like, it's it's a place where everyone kind of kind of hang out and, and be cool with each other. And that is, I mean, I'm extraordinarily proud of the community we built. Yeah. And this was, like, the culmination of... That that of, of eight years of work for us essentially right, right. and like, like reflected proof. in the people that we've surrounded ourselves with and it's incredibly gratifying. It is. It is. So um, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think if there's anything. I think there's anything else that I wanted to talk about. I mean, obviously. Uh, the the only thing that's kind of a bummer is like the last five or ten minutes when it was like the big finish is largely muted on Twitch because of it's ironic that um, Helix Nebula didn't do it. It was the Scott yeah. Pilgrim sound Scott Pilgrim video game soundtrack, mm-hmm. which we could have played the Scott Pilgrim video game on Twitch and it probably wouldn't have been muted. <laughs> But it got I, I muted due so. to copyright reasons. So, like the last ten minutes of the and the only ten minutes of the entire twenty-four hour stream got muted for copyright because of that. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then it's funny when I moved it over to YouTube. Uh-huh. YouTube picked up the the Dale Polka or whatever that that song is. Uh-huh. Or or no, um, they picked up the the opening song of the movie where they're driving in the van and he's oh, doing really? the weather and stuff. Yeah, and, flagged and, it for and they flagged it for copyright. So what did you do for that? Just uh, took I it think out? it was one of those things where it got flagged for copyright, so we can't monetize, but. Oh, we, and it who still gives a shit about monetizing that anyway? Yeah, we're not trying to. Uh, so the la- the so uh, is there anything else that sh- you wanted to say? I don't if, think so. I mean, it, we definitely have plans to try and do something like this in the future, and I don't know if it'll be the same thing. I don't know what form it'll take, but it was such a good experience for us right. that I think we we're going to be talking about it in the year to come. Because I think even without like you know, uh, here's the things I know will happen in a year. I know the ball move audience will well I don't know this but I hope that it continues to grow mm-hmm. certainly has each year so far uh I hope that we can reach out to our sponsors and some of our vendors and get some like corporate backing be- behind this yeah. uh we have since made contact with the National Alliance in homelessness in fact we're about to cut to an interview I did with Jasper Vaughn, who is uh, one of their uh, coordinators, uh, where he's going to officially thank the community for all their support and uh, uh, talk about their mission and their specific programs and how they use the funds and, and some, some details about the, the, the their, their organization and what they do. Um, but, I mean, I got... It seems like Groundhog's Day, like, I don't think we'll ever do a 24-hour Groundhog's Day marathon again. But Groundhog's <laughs> Day is a pretty good time because it gives, it, it's it's right there after, like, you know, January, like, the holidays is a big rush. January is pretty sleepy. Not a lot of content is coming out. 
but we're getting a lot of things done behind the scenes and like it, it, it's a good kickoff like bald move is coming out of its hibernation it's looking at its shadow it's you know i like I, I feel like we'll can probably continue working with the national alliance and like i do think the Groundhog movie and the save kind of pop campaign has got resonance with that. So, like, mm-hmm. my vote would be to always do it on Groundhog's Day, but what format this fundraising takes is completely up in air. But uh, yeah. it's a good time of year to do it because it's hard to pick another date what's not going to be trampled by a particular Game of Thrones or Westworld or. They did release Altered Carbon on that day, but what are you going to do? They did. They did. <laughs> but that's like, you know, uh, in the grand scheme of things, not getting day one coverage of gr- Altered Carbon, I don't think oh, it's sure, going to hurt. Yeah. And, and almost nothing. Like, the things that would have possibly interfered was the X Files reboot of the reboot and, right. like, some Netflix stuff. Like it's a good time of the year to do it. So mm-hmm. um, it would be nice to have that kind of annual tradition and try to make it bigger and better. Um, and probably as we get closer that we'll be opening a discussion. Cause I'd like to get this kicked off a couple months sooner to get the community more involved yeah. and to get the Alliance more involved and uh, like all those things. But uh, if you were there for the whole thing thank you so much it was a great experience it was one of the many many uh super life affirming experiences i've had with bald move um and please enjoy and listen to this interview with jasper uh know that we'll be coming back uh bigger and better and if you missed out uh in these show notes i will have a variety of resources i'm going to link to the entire archive of the event if you wanted to like just just watch it or watch the last few hours or the last few minutes or skip around for highlights whatever however you want to do it It also have a bunch of resources that the national alliance has provided us and uh if you if you uh, uh, the other frequently asked question i get is i missed it how do i give to the national alliance so if you go to in homelessness.org there is that's the that's the website for the national alliance and you can donate there and that link will also be in the show notes Oh, the other thing I want to talk about is like there is something else we're going to do to kind of commemorate this first first potentially annual Groundhog's Day event is make a T-shirt. Uh, we've got a couple ideas of designs that 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 incorporate the Groundhog and Jim's socks and God knows what <laughs> like maybe some chicken wings crossed or we're going to make some kind of like crest. And then my, case. my my idea is for the back of the T-shirt to have like have you seen like like those those word heat maps. Where like the more a word is used, it's like bigger, and then like I'd like to like take a spreadsheet that has everyone's individual donations and put their username on the back of the T-shirt in a pattern where like the larger your donation, the more central and large your 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 name is. So, like Freddie is going to be right in the middle, and then everybody else will be arrayed around them and and progress. And so I think that'd be I don't know like practically if that will actually work and and like whether like if yeah. 50% of the names are blurry on the t-shirt and you can't read them then what's the point but like I'd like to do something really cool and special and maybe for the people that I mean I'm spitballing here that actually participated in the event maybe it'll be it'll be like at cost or like you know the other thing is that we could take all the profits and turn it over to National Alliance um, but be looking for in the next couple of weeks where we're actually commissioned the design uh, so if you want to commemorate or have something to look back on it fondly or you know, I think it's cool, and you think the T-shirt's cool. Uh, be looking for that, and we'll be announcing when we, we're ready for that. We'll be announcing that on all the the usual social media channels and all that stuff. So, so thanks, guys. It was and gals. It was it was a great experience. Uh, can't wait to do something like this again. And I hope you find the following interview informative. 
Uh, joining me now on the podcast is Jasper Vaughn. He's the development coordinator at the National Alliance in Homelessness, which, you know, if you made it this far in the podcast, you know, is the, the whole point of our, our Groundhog's Day experiment. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Jasper. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Aaron, and, and thanks, Jim. I know you're not uh, on the interview as well, but I just want to say thank you to, to both of you for putting yourself through 24 hours of, of Groundhog's Day um, in, in service of our mission. Uh, it just means so much to, to us and, and to the Alliance for um, for your hard work um, going through that, and, and thank you as well to, to everyone listening for your participation in this fundraiser, and thank you for both your financial support and, and your interest in, in this issue. Uh, we're just really thrilled that um, so many people are uh, in, enthusiastic about about this mission of ending homelessness, and, and I'm I'm just thankful that um, that y'all are letting us um, speak briefly about our work and, and what we do. So, on behalf of the alliance and, and our president and CEO Nan Roman, thank you so much for your gifts and, and your time and, and your interest. Wow, well, uh, you're you're quite welcome. Like I said, that. You know, I, I'd like to give most credit to the Bald Move community because, you know, we could have sat and watched television for or movies for 24 hours, but uh, it was uh, the, the individual members of the community that uh, opened up their, their wallets and their hearts. And there was a lot of a lot of interest, especially in the, 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 the last few hours of the, the marathon when it seemed like we were going to perhaps hit our hit our hit our uh, fundraising goal that to, to get you guys involved and to, to find out more about your mission. Um, you know, that's. I guess before we get started into the, the heavy stuff, like what what was the reaction uh, over at the alliance when because you know I, you know Monday morning I come into the office and I type in or it might even been I don't know that that night I type in something into your guys's contact form about just brief less like okay what's the briefest way I can describe this that won't make me sound totally insane. Uh, was it just kind of like, you know, oh, okay, people wanting to, to, to contribute money, or was there a reaction beyond that? or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think, well, I think what's important to know, too, is that um, the way we receive sort of those notes is, is just through a general email inbox. And so as we were, were coming through and, and found um, that, that you guys had done this, had um, not only gone through this, this extraordinary marathon, but also had raised um, such a significant amount. I mean, people were number one. I think first reaction was absolute ridiculousness at at watching Groundhog Day for 24 <laughs> hours. I think most people were uh, were blown away by that and the 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 amazing feat that that was. Um, but but also too, just uh, we we really appreciate more than any um, other kinds of donations. Just folks that previously didn't know a lot about our mission, but but wanted to get involved and um, you know people that. Um, may just be able to donate a little bit here and there or, or able to be really generous. I mean, we just so appreciate that. And I think that was, was the general reaction was first just um, absolute dumbfoundedness at, at, this, at this marathon, but also just, um, just deep gratitude towards um, the Bald Move community and, and to both of you for, uh, for putting that on, um, especially, you know, without any contact from us or prodding that, that you would have found us and, and thought that our mission is worthwhile. It's, it's really humbling. Well, you guys do, like I said, uh, I, I went in kind of more in details in the, the main part of the podcast about why I selected your guys' charity, but, you know, you guys rate very highly as far in terms of efficiency and overhead and the seeming to, you know, so something that's got a national reach and something that's not just about Band-Aids and, and, and slap, you know, just, just, just quick fix, but like systemic solutions to try to truly end homelessness. So I thought this is a good point to pivot into a, just a general introduction. 
you know, this happened kind of in our off season. So a lot of uh, people who are just coming back to television and coming back to Bald Move, uh, this is going to be their first experience with finding out about the Groundhog's Day uh, Marathon we did and also the National Alliance in Homelessness. So just in general, what is uh, what is the Alliance's mission? Uh, who is the Alliance? Uh, what's what's some basic information that people need to know about uh, your guys' organization? Yeah, yeah, I definitely um, – and, and I'll probably touch on some of the more specifics of, of, of the solutions that we promote and the specific work that we do um, in a little bit. But, um, but, but I think the most important things to know about us is that we're a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization – uh, whose sole purpose is to end homelessness in the United States. You know, our our name is really our mission. Um, we're not about managing this crisis. We, we really want and believe that it is possible to end homelessness. And so we use research and data to find solutions to homelessness and to track trends in, in homelessness across the country. And we work with federal and local partners and elected officials uh, to create just a solid base of, of policy and resources that support the solutions that we're finding that are most effective and, and be able to educate our leaders uh, on what's the best way to go forward, uh, what's the current situation, and what can we be doing to, to really end it and, and to fix it um, in communities across the country. And then the, the final uh, main thing that we do is help communities implement these solutions. So we go in and help train people uh, how to be most effective with the, the finances and the services that they have available, uh, how to change things up, um, and, and how to um, use what use the resources that they have to, to be more efficient and, and to really get more people off the streets and into housing and to save lives that way. Um, and so the, the National Alliance to End Homelessness uh, really started in the 80s um, by a group of concerned citizens that wanted to, to provide emergency, um, meet the emergency needs of folks in, in the nation's capital um, right at the beginning of the homelessness crisis, which really um, started in the 80s and, and became um, greater and greater over time. And, and what the Alliance really realized was um, you know, it's really great to provide for people's emergency needs, but we need to address this issue at its core. We need to, to cut off the problem at its source. And so that kind of informed a, a little bit of an evolution in the organization into more data-driven, um, research-driven solutions to homelessness and, and addressing things at a more systemic level. As you might note that we don't do direct service to folks experiencing homelessness, and, and we're really supportive of and partner with a lot of groups that do, uh, but we really try and fight this problem and end homelessness from a more systemic standpoint, as, as you pointed out, Aaron. Um, and so uh, I'd be happy to speak more on those specifics in a little bit, but that's that's a basic overview of us. Uh, so we, we, we talk about the National Alliance in Homelessness and, and your mission here, and it seems to me that maybe we need to talk about uh, the problem, the quote-unquote problem of homelessness, and, and maybe who the homeless are, because I know... Um, I spent the vast majority of my life without actually interacting with anyone that uh, that I that, that that I knew was homeless anyway, and it wasn't until the, of recently because I've always been more of a of a country mouse. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've lived yeah. into the city in the Cincinnati, and you know I've 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 met uh, people in my own neighborhood that are that are homeless. We when in our travels because we've been to like Seattle, we've been to. Uh, San Diego, we've been to uh, Huntsville, Alabama, and it seems like everywhere we go, every city has their kind of unique little twist on on the homeless and what they're trying to do and like what the, the scope of the problem. It, it's a, something that seems to be getting like like in the last decade, especially something accelerating. And I was wondering if you could like maybe talk about who the homeless are and get, let's help us get a, a, an arm around what the problem is now, um, and you know. 
w- whether this is actually is like the the in homelessness is that a pipe dream is that like just a, a pol- is, is that just like a slogan or is that something you guys realistically hope to achieve yeah absolutely yeah and, and i think you're right you know i think most people unless you're involved in the homelessness system there's really no way to know who who are these folks that are experiencing homelessness how did they end up here uh, where where are they staying? Um, is is it getting better or worse? I think those are all really great questions. And so uh, there is a lot of ways to measure homelessness in the U.S. Uh, but the most common and I think the most um, appropriate single number kind of estimate that we have is called the point in time count, um, which, or the pit count, uh, which is a measure of on a single night in the U.S. how many people are homeless. And so volunteers go out in their communities and count. Um, and, and interact with um, their neighbors, and, and we're able to get pretty, a pretty good estimate of, of how many people are homeless on a given night in the U.S. Now, is and that so this year the, for the, my, my question before you? Now, is that is that like in every city, or like how how like do you like guys do do like the top metro areas and extrapolate based on that? It's just wanting this. Is there any information? Yeah, it's every it's 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 every community. the The United States is divided up in in terms of the homeless system. That is uh, into um, subdiv- subdivisions called continuums of care, and so that's every metro area. Um, different portions of every state are divided into continuums of care, and so within each of those subdivisions, there are homeless services leaders. There are folks who oversee um, this count and are able to to go into the community. And we really uh, we really try and really are able to count. Um, every person in, in every community, and it takes a very concentrated effort, and it takes a long time to kind of get the data back from all of that. Um, but we're able to get a, a, a pretty good estimate of the total homeless population on on a given night, um, which for 2017 was 553,742 people, um, which was the the point in time count. And then there are other other measures, of course. Um, there are some people that. Um, you know, are, are accessing services throughout the year. Um, there's other ways of measuring, you know, how many people went into a shelter or came out over, over the course of a year. Uh, but we typically like to use that, that 553,000 number for 2017 at least um, as, as kind of the estimate of, of how many people are experiencing homelessness. Um, and that includes 40,000 veterans, um, includes uh, 40,000 unaccompanied children and young adults, um, which are just, um, in my opinion, just a, it's just a travesty um, and, and wow. it's a moral crisis. You know that folks um, who who are are underage, who are unaccompanied, um, are experiencing homelessness, uh, as well as folks who have served our country and are coming back and are really failed by by our communities. Um, so that's that's the problem that we seek to to end and address uh, at the Alliance. And, and that's the, the problem that um, it seems like um, the Bald Move community is, is really passionate about as well. Um, and so I'd also, if, if it's okay, I'd also like to touch on a little bit of, uh, of what's happening in terms of homelessness, because I know um, it's, it's, you know, it's hard to know, is it, is it getting better? Is it getting worse? And so um, one of the important things to know is that we're in a better place uh, than we were a few years ago in terms of homelessness. Uh, really, um, the the um, financial crisis of a few years ago um, really spurred on a housing crisis, which really spurred um, a, a, a market increase in homelessness across the country. Um, and so uh, 2017, um, we're in a better position than we were a few years ago, but it's still an unacceptable position to be in. I think that uh, in 2017, uh, this was the first increase uh, in total homelessness in several years. And so we, we're kind of seeing a stalling, a plateauing of the progress that had been made. Um, this year we saw an increase of, of under 1%, like 0.7% in total homelessness, um, which is which is a little concerning given that we had made such great progress the year before. 
Um, and, and some of the reasons for that are the, the increasing affordable housing crisis, which we've seen, especially in cities. Um, folks are not able to, to purchase homes. They're not able to pay their rent um, because housing is just more and more expensive. We also saw some, some different methodology in how uh, homelessness was, was counted in, in some spots in the West Coast. And so that kind of, there's a little bit of wiggle room with the numbers, but really um, we did see a small increase. And then there's also a difference too between rural and urban homelessness. We've seen great progress in rural communities who are really tackling this problem, jumping in and are able to, to really um, see declining numbers year after year. Uh, but unfortunately, in some of the cities that um, are working, still working really hard to end homelessness, they're just finding that this affordable housing crisis is, is such an overwhelming problem that, um, that their homeless populations are growing and growing and folks are coming in from other areas, uh, especially on the West Coast we see, um, and, and this is probably what you guys have seen in, in your travels, um, it's, it's these encampments of folks who are living um, in, in cities like Seattle or Los Angeles right. um, or San Diego, um, yeah, just living in, in, in encampments that are very visible and um, are a very um, stark reminder of, of the scope of this problem. Um, the last thing I think I'll mention, too, is that um, a lot of the, the homeless population um, is, is in shelters. So they're not unsheltered and, and out in the streets like those encampments that I spoke of. Mm -hmm. um, and that's about uh, a little over 30 percent of, of folks who are experiencing homelessness are unsheltered or living on the street without um, a place to sleep. Um, but, but folks who are in shelters, we do consider sheltered, but still homeless, as, as obviously they don't. Um, own a home, they don't have a place to pay rent, they can't afford anywhere to stay, and a right. shelter isn't a home, um, sure. it's not a place to live, um, and so that they still uh, count as part of the homeless population, but I think that's an important distinction as well. Uh, so we talked about, you know, you guys have this 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 uh, this goal, uh, this reasonable goal to end homelessness, um, Yeah. and we talked about kind of in generalities. Uh, what attracted to me about your charity not only was your guys' reputation for responsible stewardship of the money that you receive, but also that you uh, impressed me by having some clear, concrete uh, solutions. The one that uh, I kind of went down a rabbit hole in researching was uh, the, your rapid rehousing uh, policy or initiative. I'm not sure what the proper term of art there. Could you talk about, yeah. if, if not that, just some of your specific policy procedures that, that are, like you said, trying to attack this systemically at the heart rather than, than just, uh, the, just to do triage? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think you really touched on this earlier, Aaron, is that um, I think a lot of people view homelessness as sort of this intractable problem, that, it, that it's always going to be there. It's, uh, folks are always going to be on the street. Um, and I think to some extent, you know, it's, there's always going to be difficulty um, in, in folks finding housing. But I think the, the lie that we sort of believe is that um, homelessness is something we have to live with in society. And at the Alliance, we really believe it's a solvable problem and, and we have um, tangible solutions to, to fix it. And we don't just want to manage a problem that's costing lives, that's, that's affecting people um, who really matter in society and, and are keeping them from being able to participate in society and have a dignified life. And I think a good example of that, a good example of the, the, the real feasibility of ending homelessness is that um, a few years ago, there was a big push to end veterans' homelessness. Right. Um, and we just saw with, with dedicated resources and strategies, um, they cut veterans' homelessness. We cut veterans' homelessness in half. In, in the last seven years, and it's been eliminated in more than 20 cities and, and even in several states. So going from, you know, it's a little bit smaller scale, obviously, I talked about uh, in the tens of thousands versus the hundreds of thousands, but I think that was a really, re really encouraging sign for all of us involved in this work that, you know, in a few years we can cut this number in half 
we can eliminate veterans homelessness in, in numbers of cities and states. And if we can do that with veterans homelessness, we know it's doable with the right resources and strategies overall. And I think what it means to, to end homelessness is not that no one will ever, you know, uh, lose out on their housing, but what it means is that anytime someone uh, loses housing or becomes housing uh, unstable or insecure, um, they have a place to go. They've got, uh, there's a net um, and a process through which to bounce them right back into housing immediately um, from, from their unstable situation. No, and I imagine a big consideration there is it's great to have services and support, but like when you're, I imagine when you find yourself out of, uh, if I put my empathy hat on, you find yourself out of your home, that implies that you don't really have an address, that you might not, ha- you might have trouble with the, uh, having an internet connection or a phone connection like like it seems like finding those resources to make use of them would be just yet another thing you have to worry about when when you're you're out on the streets so like making those yeah easy and readily available um like like that's a service all to itself right yeah yeah and one of the things you know one of the biggest um services we're trying to provide and and one of the things we've been able to help the most in in the fight to end homelessness is to really make the homelessness system um, as streamlined and and easy to access as possible because you're right you know if you don't have a home uh, you you definitely don't have access to internet Uh, you definitely don't have um, a stable way to to get involved and and get a job Um, it's a lot harder to um, to access the help that you need and, and the financial resources that really are available. And so uh, we, we've really tried to, um, at least on a policy standpoint, make sure that um, uh, that there are coordinated entry points across cities where people can access the system and they're given the same information and they don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops to, to, to get to the resources that they need. Um, and so I think um, you touched on this this earlier, and, and I'm sorry, it's taken me a while to get to, to the rapid rehousing piece, but um, I am I am passionate about the, the fact that homelessness really is a solvable problem. And um, I guess an example, too, I uh, I think is really powerful is that, you know, when, when we experience a natural disaster or another crisis, and we really view homelessness as a crisis, um, you know, folks are really quick to jump in and say, you know, like, there was a hurricane in, in Houston, and, and so many people lost their homes, and, and rightfully so, emergency services jumped in and um, and helped folks. And, and homelessness is, is sort of like the equivalent of, of an emergency crisis where, you know, the equivalent of, like, the, the population of Milwaukee suddenly ends up with, with no right. homes, you know? And, and and if we view it in that lens as an emergency, as a crisis, I think that would really inform um, the way that we address this issue and that, that it would be endable and, and, and it could be solvable, not just something to manage. Um, but but that's, so, that's a really important uh, point because I do feel like that, Americans do a really good job at what I would call acute, um, you know, charity. Like this, a storm has just come through and destroyed this community. Look at all these hands coming forward to help. Look at all these wallets opening up to, to help. But the things that are not like the things that are like more slow moving, more complex, more like it gets to be part of the fabric of life. Were were harder. It's harder to maintain that same sort of sympathy and empathy to, to to do that, but but yeah, if you can reframe it like this is a this is a slow moving natural disaster that is affecting people yeah. all the time, and you know has it's it's you know comparison to natural disasters interesting, um, you know like we were talking yeah. right before this phone call about the flooding in Cincinnati and how here's a couple thousand people that are going to be at least temporarily perhaps longer without a home that's that's people's realities and it happens because of 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 all kinds of all kinds of reasons all kinds of economic stresses um so yeah like being able to reframe that it's interesting 
Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I think there is really a fair amount of, of moralizing that goes on in the sense that we look at folks who are experiencing homelessness. And, and a lot of times we think, what did they, what do, did they wrong? do wrong right. to end up where, where they are? Um, and I think, you know, I, I think we have to be careful and not strip people of their independent agency. You know, people can make decisions on their own. But really, in large part, so many of these folks are, are ending up in, in, in are experiencing homelessness because of unjust housing policies, because of uh, uh, economic inequality, uh, because of a lack of access to health care, because of, of mental illnesses. Um, and, and just um, everybody has a different story, and there's no way to paint um, the, the community of folks experiencing homelessness with a broad brush. But I think that um, looking at it as, as an emergency, as a crisis, is a way to sort of remove the judgment from, from our own eyes and, and be able to see folks um, for the stories that they do have and the health crises or bad luck that they're experiencing um, and, and be able to say, like, yes, people have agency and they are um, – people are able to overcome so much, um, but a lot of these people um, are, are having the deck stacked against them on the basis of health and race and, and finances. And um, that's really the, the bottom line, I think, in, in regards to, to homelessness. All right. So we're going to talk about rapid this, – this rapping rehousing initiative that I'm so excited about. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. So – so the Alliance, um, as I mentioned earlier, we, we know that we're going to have the biggest impact by taking a data-driven approach to ending homelessness. I think it's why we're really effective and why um, the Alliance and, and why the homelessness system has allies across political lines. Uh, I think that's kind of how I want to start the rapid rehousing conversation is that um, this is really a bipartisan solution because um, rapid rehousing is something that helps people and does it most efficiently. So we're saving money and we're helping more people. And so it's a really it's, it, it's a win-win. Um, and, and rapid rehousing is really a way of rethinking what people need and how and when they need it. Uh, so it's a way of providing uh, folks experiencing homelessness with short-term rental assistance and services. So the goals of rapid rehousing are obviously to help people obtain housing quickly, as the name implies, increase self-sufficiency, and stay housed. Uh, and, it, and it allows people um, help without preconditions, like you must be employed, you must hold down a job to get rent. You must have an income to, to get housing. Uh, you can't a lot have a of criminal chick- record. It seems like chicken and egg problems, you know? Yeah, absolutely, or even sobriety in many cases. Um, and, and what we've really found is that lowering those barriers, a lot of times um, if you give somebody housing first, if, if, you, if you get them into housing, they're able to address all those other problems uh, more easily and, and more quickly. They're able to get a job because they have a place to stay. They have an address to to call home. The stress of of where they're going to sleep that night is taken away, and it's a lot easier to find a job. Um, and so, a, a good case study for for this uh, is, is Richmond, Virginia. We have a partner organization there um, called St. Joseph's Villa, who provides housing for folks in Richmond. Um, and, and they noticed a few years ago they they weren't having an impact through uh, what's called transitional housing, where um, I think this is. Uh, what uh, a lot of us have misconceptions about, you know, we'd think, oh, somebody who's coming off the streets or needs help um, finding housing, they're going to need a lot of help and a lot of services to sort of walk through, you know, how to be a homeowner, how to how to live in housing again. Um, they're going to need a ton of help and they're going to need some time like to transition with other, you know, other people in their situation in a house together. And um, that's called transitional housing. And, um, and the reality is um, transitional housing, we found in the research backs up, it's just not as, as effective. People, really, people are really able to take care of themselves once they're given a home, and they're really able to, to meet their own needs, and they don't need um, all these transitional expensive um, housing resources. Uh, so so this, this organization in Richmond um, noticed that, and they switched over to rapid rehousing a few years ago, 
and they noticed immediately, um, you know, where, where they weren't having an impact before, they noticed people getting housed more quickly and staying housed, which is a really big deal, um, that the folks that come through their rapid rehousing program were, were staying housed at a much higher rate than before. And in 2015, which is I think just after, two years after they, they piloted the rapid rehousing program, they were able to help 249 households find safe, safe and stable housing, uh, 249 households find safe and stable housing, which was three times as many people, as, three times as many households as they did before, and it was at a third of the cost, um, which just sounds um, unbelievable, but but is really the case. We've we've seen that uh, replicated across the nation. Some studies indicate up to five times as many people housed for the same cost, um, and so it's it's kind of a no-brainer situation. Uh, rapid rehousing is um, where we're helping people, we're bouncing them quickly out of shelters into housing, and then letting them address the other needs. And, and it doesn't mean we abandon them with no support, counseling, or um, uh, people helping connect them with the services they need, but it does mean that we don't um, raise the barriers to housing um, so that they have to take care of all their problems before they, quote unquote, deserve a home. Uh, it means that we're helping them get housing secure and then um, tackling those other problems. And, and it's so much cheaper. And, and it really does help people get uh, connected with those other services. And I think that's where the, the bipartisan nature, because I know, because I'm from perspective. Personally, I'm from a more conservative background. I know when you start talking about like economic equality and those types of pressures, a lot of people start rolling their eyes and like, oh, here we go. This is going to be, you know, kind of a liberal kind of entitlement giveaway scheme. But what what I think you're saying, if I can echo it back, is that people are typically smart and can take care of themselves if they have the means to do so. So by eliminating all these presumptions of you're going to misallocate these resources we're giving to you and we need to we need to go through all these checks to make sure that's not going to happen and we put all these barriers up to people getting it to make sure only the people that really, 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 really need it and are going to be sober and responsible, are, you're actually putting up so many barriers that A, it's expensive and B, a lot of people through illegitimate re- are, are kind of weeded out of the, that, that help. Whereas if you just like presume... You're an adult. You know how to take care of yourself. Here are the things that you need to do that. It's actually cheaper, yeah. and you can help more people with less money. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And I think you know what we found is that if we're leaving folks on the streets, they're going to cost more money to society. You know, with the the moral element, you know, of, of people's dignity and, and the fact that people should be housed, even if you set that aside. Right. People living on the street are going to cost more to society because they're going to be using emergency rooms for house. Uh, they're going to be using emergency rooms for health concerns. Folks in law enforcement have to engage with them. They, they're going to be using the emergency room for uh, health concerns, um, and those are all you know important things for their survival. But uh, but that's going to cost society so much more uh, money than than if those people were simply housed and were able to be connected with the right resources. And so uh, the research just really backs that up in terms of uh, from a financial standpoint that um, that it's really more efficient. Um, and, and as I said, to five times as efficient um, for folks to just be housed first and then um, and, and, and then be connected to to the things that they need. Um, and I think, like you mentioned, too, there's there's a sense that there's there's a common sense element of, of you know, let's let's let people be adults. Let's let them take care of the the things that they need to take care of um, without putting so many preconditions on them that um, that it's impossible to get by. I think we've heard stories, you know, of, of shelters that, um, you know, if, if you wear a hat into the shelter, you're not allowed to, 
to, to stay anymore, you know, and, and things like that. You know, of course, it sounds common sense um, for us, you know, speaking outside of that situation. But for a lot of shelters, you know, they, they have all these rules that, you know, over time, like, you know, one case um, has, has, has led them to create all these rules. And um, you have and, a system of edge cases rather than, than the majority of people who just want to get on with their lives. And you're man, you're yeah, managing all yeah. these edge cases and all these extreme rules rather than than the night you know the the vast majority of people walking through the doors that just just need a, a hand a hand up and want to and want to get on their life and, and contribute and continue contributing to society. Yeah, and I think that's really the key ingredient is that um, these services aren't um, being provided to folks that are independent from society and that um, just move on. These are people that. Uh, really deserve the chance to be a part of of society that that deserve to contribute to the economy once they have a job that deserve to to contribute to to society through volunteering and being a part of um, of a community um, that they've been on the outskirts of for a long time, um, often years and years. And so, um, yeah, I think that the the takeaway from all those um, those ideas we touched on of the high barriers to shelter or to housing, um, the point is not to to take away personal responsibility from people to make good decisions. And ultimately, ultimately, really, people do have to decide that they want to stay um, in housing and work for it. And um, that's a really important part of the process. And that's why, you know, we do have found this this widespread support for rapid rehousing and, and why Congress has really embraced funding for these programs is that it does put the onus on people to, um, to have personal responsibility, but it removes the barriers from, um, from housing uh, for them, it, it removes kind of these out of their control elements. You know, if, if if they don't have income and they can't get a job, it, it removes the barriers to allow them to do that, and and ends up costing everybody less money, and, and ends up really saving lives. And, and I think that's kind of the bottom line. Well, I appreciate that that national and kind of like systemic approach. But I know that um, one of the reasons I selected a, a homeless a charity is because I've I've seen personally, you know. Uh, you know, a man that is 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 in our neighborhood, and he's trying to do odd jobs, and he's trying to find temporary places to to stay, and and I'm I I've often wondered, you know, because sometimes I give him money, sometimes I've given him food, uh, sometimes I just sit in on my porch and talk to him for a bit. What? What is as an individual who you know doesn't have necessarily the the levers of the government, and we we don't have cha- say in our our lo- uh, we don't have as much say in the policy as maybe we'd want to. What what can we do as individuals? Like what what can we do individually to to help our communities with the homeless, if anything? Yeah, yeah. So I think this is really two questions. Um, I think the first is sort of how do I engage in my community, or or more broadly, to end homelessness. And then I think the second is sort of what do I do when I'm interacting with my neighbors who are experiencing homelessness? Because I think that's a really valid question, and I think that makes um, a lot of people, and myself included, you know, a while ago, that that makes us nervous and uncomfortable, and we don't know how to do that. So I think I'll touch on the first part, um, which is engaging in in our community or more more broadly. Um, And and I think the first part is really determine how you want to give, um, determine if you want to give your time, if you want to give your money, or if you have other resources that are helpful. Um, one thing I'll say, and, and um, I'll touch on this more later, but but I think donating directly to shelters or the homelessness system is 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 more effective overall than donating to individuals that that you see. Um, and that said, I I, I want to touch on this later because I think that's a really important part of engaging with with neighbors experiencing homelessness. Uh, I think local service providers 
they always need volunteer assistance, especially like specialized help, um, like write, like helping write resumes uh, or other skills that you have. Um, donating your time in that uh, in that way is really helpful. And 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 sometimes you know sometimes the first step is going and helping serve lunch. But but really, um, I think those those service providers will always help point you in the right direction of, of what the needs are um, in their community and, and, and really in your community and how you can be best of use. Uh, and the last thing I'll, I'll touch on, and I know you mentioned this, this isn't for everyone, but, but really the best option is, is advocacy um, at, at uh, both the local and federal level. Because the reality is, you know, we need federal and local resources allocated to the homeless system at a level that, that far exceeds what we can do individually and what we can individually donate. Um, and I think our individual donations are so important and, are, and sustain both the local and national organizations like the Alliance. Um, but, but these huge issues and budget decisions are also important. You know, the funding that is that's allocated to different communities, that's allocated to different types of programs and strategies, um, I think that's really important. You know, people in Congress need to know that something like rapid rehousing is going to be more effective and is going to help more people um, than other types of programs that aren't effective. Um, and the Alliance has tons of tools. And here's here's my little plug, um, <laughs> if, even if you don't like calling your representatives or anything, um, and, and tons of tools to help train people in advocacy and, and really in bipartisan advocacy. This isn't calling up you know, only senators or, or Congress people of one party and trying to push through a partisan agenda. This is just something that we need to educate our our elected uh, officials on, um, letting them know kind of what, what these important issues are and and, and, um, and letting you know, too, what, what the important issues and budget decisions are that, that need your voice. And I would just really encourage folks to get involved this way. Um, and I will definitely provide kind of links and, and resources for that um, that we can hopefully link to from the from the podcast page. Um, if, if that's possible, Aaron, that would be, yeah, that would be great. And, and obviously... For, of course, yeah. Well, they'll they'll be we'll be embedding some links into show notes uh, for for resources and you know the links uh, to the inhomelessness.org, which is the the, the homepage of the National Alliance. Uh, we'll we'll put all that good stuff in the show notes, so you can easily click on them if you want to and are moved to take further action. Yeah, yeah, and I think too, um, really just determining how you want to give. Um, giving of your time, giving of your money, giving of your resources, or even making phone calls to your elected officials. That goes a really long way. Um, and, and even the step that, that you're taking right now to listen to um, this podcast and listen to um, an exploration of this issue and, and what's going on, that is, is a huge step. And staying educated is, is just really important, too. Um, so thank you for, for your time in, in that sense. Um, I did, too, want to touch briefly on the second part of the question, which is, uh, what do I do when I'm interacting with my neighbors experiencing homelessness? Um, should I do that? Is that appropriate? Um, what do they want from me? Um, and I think those are really valid questions. Uh, the number one thing I would say is yes, in interacting with, with folks and engaging with folks is really important. You know, if, if you were um, in a situation where you, uh, for, for whatever reason, um, lost out on your housing and you ended up on the street, you wouldn't want to be ostracized and treated as if you weren't there. And so I think it's um, really important for us to, to acknowledge folks that are on the street or in our communities uh, that are experiencing homelessness, to engage with them in conversation, to bring them food, uh, or, or even to, to donate money, um, which is a really personal decision. And I think the line that we sort of take at the Alliance is, um, of course, yes, it is more effective to donate um, at a systems level um, for for the resources that we have. But, but in interacting with someone and, and giving money to them is, is a really personal decision and and we definitely don't want to say um, that you can't do that that it's not a good idea um, 
I think that the most important thing and the key to all of this engagement is to do it without judgment. You know, if you're going to donate money to someone, do it without judgment of of what they're going to use it on. If you're going to bring food, do it without judgment and and without expectation that they'll be, um, that they'll um, exhibit the certain amount of appreciation that you want. Um, Because that's, that's what's really hard is sometimes we have these expectations of how an encounter with somebody experiencing homelessness will go. Um, And the reality is people are, are all different and are are all unique and all have different needs. Um, But the important thing I think is to engage with folks um, in a way that's, um, that is not, that is going to serve them. Engaging them in conversation is great, but if you can um, engage with them and provide some of their physical needs, um, that's also really good. Something that um, a lot of folks in the homelessness system do is, is carry cards around with shelter and services information in your local area. Uh, so take the time to do research on that um, and be able to pass that out You know, if you're not comfortable giving money or if that's not the way you want to give um, or if you're not super comfortable engaging in a long conversation with somebody. Um, you can provide a really tangible um, service by, by having the information where they can get those needs um, fixed it just, just in a card form, in a small business card. Um, you, by taking the time to do that, that research, um, you can really help a lot of people. And the last thing, you can volunteer for uh, the point-in-time count that I mentioned earlier, going out into your community and really getting to know uh, who's living there and, and what are their needs and, and why are they there. Um, that's really important as well. Uh, we also have a webinar um, available um, at the Alliance that kind of delves into more detail on answering some of these questions that I, I um, helped to run with a local service provider who does a lot of outreach work um, with folks uh, experiencing homelessness in D.C. And so I'll make sure that that's available as well um, that kind of talks about uh, what outreach is, what, what does that look like, and then how can um, sort of everyday people like us um, go out and, and, and be a positive force in, in people's lives that we encounter. Well, thanks for that information. That's something that I've been personally curious about, and I know a lot of people uh, expressed as well. So I want to kind of talk about the future, because I know a lot of people, uh, a lot of Bald Move fans were wondering, you know, what what's next? Um, you know, because this is the first year we did something like this, and I'm comfortable with saying that we will be back next Groundhog's Day with something, with something uh Hopefully even bigger and better. I'm not going to say it's going to be another 24-hour marathon of Groundhog's Day because I know that from, from – I speak for probably Jim that I'm, I'm kind of good on seeing Groundhog's Day for, yeah. for a couple yeah. of years. Uh, I feel like I am myself lived through Bill Murray's experience there. Um, but oh, we, we, we do want to build something because it just feels like Groundhog's Day, um, first of all, like now we've got a precedent for it, but it's it's a great time where it's like it's it's like we're coming back from a hiatus and we're getting ready for a year and we can get something people excited about something. Um, and if we can help out a great charity like yourself that that and we, we want to get like our sponsors involved, we want to get some of our vendors involved, we'd like to get you guys more involved. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like it'd be a failure if next year you get another Monday morning email that says, Hey, we did another crazy thing and, <laughs> and you didn't know about it. So uh Yeah. Hopefully we can work no, we, that, we can work together on that stuff too. Yeah, thank you so much. No, that that sounds like an incredible plan going forward and I know that um we will be so thankful for for whatever um, whatever crazy scheme we come up with together, and and I know that the Bald Move community will be um, so supportive of that, and 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 I cannot tell you how how much that means to us at the Alliance <clears throat> that people outside of you know the small communities that we run in um, are are acknowledging and and are seeing um, the the mission that we have and and are thrilled to participate in that with us, and and that just means so much um, that 
that you guys are passionate about ending homelessness, about saving lives, and, and about doing that in, as I mentioned, in an effective way and in, in using our resources well and, and smart. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we would love to, to be back next year in some capacity. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that you will not be probably watching more Groundhog Day because that <laughs> sounded uh, horrific. But, um, but yeah, we, we would love to, to jump in. And, and I think from our end, you know, part of the um, this kind of February season, it, it, it's tough because, um, you know, around the end of the year and the holidays, you know, people are really generous and they give and um, their compassion is, at a, is sort of at a year year end high. Right. Um, and, and what's, you know, just so important is that um, after that season and, you know, the next month that that um, compassion and that interest and, and that drive is still sustained. And so I think it's really important. And I think you've touched on just a really good time of year to help build um, momentum, um, both both financially, but also just um, in, in helping people be engaged in it and learning about the issue as we move out of the holiday season into the rest of the year. So I think that's a great fit, and, and we are um, so thankful and excited to participate to whatever extent that you would have us. Well, thanks again for making yourself available and for giving us all this great information and for working hard to help solve permanently one of the, one of the uh, or on an ongoing basis, rather, uh, one of the, the biggest social issues of our time. And again, if you want to look at any more of this information or some of the webinars or information that Jasper's mentioned, I will put those in the show notes. And if you are a Bald Move fan who missed out on all the Groundhog Day hoopla and want to know, because I've had this con- uh, question a lot, where where we, we missed out on the drive, but where can we give? Inhomelessness.org. Uh, has a, 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 a link where you can actually give directly. And again, we'll yeah, be, back, yeah. be back next year. And I'll, yeah, and I'll mention too on our on our website, um, which is endhomelessness.org, uh, there's uh, a, a button called Help End Homelessness. Um, and if you've been moved or you're interested in um, finding out how to support our work um, beyond um, the options that, that we've listed so far, um, there are ways to to, to support us financially, to follow us um, through social media or, or some action alerts and things like that. And so uh, we would, uh, of course, appreciate any and all um, support from, from the Bald Move community in that respect as well. Um, and, and I would also add um, I would love to be available to, to answer any questions um, or, or to provide any resources directly. Um, and my email is jvaughn at naeh.org. And so if you have any questions about the Alliance beyond what we've covered today or about um, giving or uh, giving of your time or resources, um, please let me know and I'd be happy to connect with you. Well, again, thanks, Jasper. We're so appreciative of you making the time and I can't wait to talk to you again in the future. Uh, Until then, take care. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Aaron. And and thanks to you, Jim, as well. I know you're not uh, with us in the interview, but thanks both of you for your time and um, and for your drive in organizing this and, and mobilizing your community. So we really appreciate it, and, and I'm looking forward to talking to you soon. You are quite welcome.